Blog Talk Radio. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought, we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state, cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church, so don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth is not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself, break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt. 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through The next tree branch is Rainer and it's best you listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts inspiring and dope She can make Bill Nye retire with lab coat Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people So I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss why we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to just mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position of cognitive dissonance My Father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have extended family and all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates around this is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state because it's not quite safe. Uh-huh. 
she lived. She told me she would leave you. I admit it, she did. But came back, made up a lie about you missing your kids. Sweet kisses. Baby, ain't even know she was your mistress. Had to deal with this fights and phone calls from your bitches. Lost like you possessed her, telling me to mind my business. That it was her life and stay the fuck out of it. I tried and said just for him, I keep a ready clip. Is blind and it'll take over your mind. What you think is love is surely not. You need to elevate and find. Is blind and it'll take over your mind. What you think is love is surely not. You need to elevate and find. I don't even know you and I want you dead. Don't know the facts, but I saw the blood pour from my head. See, I lay down beside her in the hospital bed and about two hours later doctor said she was dead had the nerve to show up at her mother's house and that day to come and pay your respect to help the family pray even now down on one knee and let a tear drop and before you had a chance to get up you heard my gun cop praying to me now i ain't god but i pretend i ain't start your life a nigga i'ma bring it to an end and i did clear shots and no regrets never cops coming lock me under the jail nigga whatever my bitch fuck that my sister you can never figure out even if I let you live what I love was all about. I consider her my blood and it ain't come no bigger. Love is blind and it'll take over your mind. What you think is love is surely not. You need to elevate and find. Love is blind and it'll take over your mind. What you think is love is surely not. You need to elevate and find. And it'll take over your mind What you think is love is surely not You need to elevate and find is blind And it'll take over your mind What you think is love is surely not You need to elevate and find is blind And it'll take over your mind What you think is love Hello. Hello, everyone. Um, welcome to Block Talk Radio tonight. Um, this is Emmeline. Um, most of you know me from the M and Evil show, which I usually host um, with Mario on Fridays. But um, we've, re- we've recently had a tragedy um, in the community, and we wanted to have this special show tonight um, speaking about domestic violence. And I'm here with my co-host, Vita. Vita, say hi. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Uh, this, this is Vita Starr. Um, she has her own blog talk show on blast with Vita Starr, and it usually comes on um, this time on Thursdays. Um, and we have our panelists with us. Um, our first panelist is Soyini, and she is an engineer from Trinidad. Um, say hello. Uh, hello, everyone. Okay, and we also have on the line um, Monique. Uh, Monique, say hi. Introduce yourself, please. Hello, everyone. This is Free Spirit Monique. And we also have um, two panelists that we are waiting on. Um, That would be um, Danielle and um, Tony, but they aren't here now. And I'll introduce our last panelist, 
Um, her name is Tara Sean. Tara Sean, please introduce yourself. Hello? Tara Sean, are you on the line? Hello, everyone. I'm glad I could be here today. Hi. So um, we have all these ladies on the show, and um, we are going to be discussing... Um, hello? Hello, who's here? Yes, I'm on the line. Who's on the line? Hello, this is Sarah Sean. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, honey. Um, yeah, so as I was saying to the audience, we have all these ladies on the line um, to discuss domestic violence in the black community. Hello? Okay. I don't know who that was just talking. But anyways, this weird, as I was saying, um, we're, we're discussing um, domestic violence in the black community. And um, for those of you who have clicked on the link and gone to the Blog Talk Radio site where the link is posted, you will see a link posted below tonight's show description. It's a link for a GoFundMe, um, and it's for a fund called Angie's Legacy Fund. As I alluded to earlier, we had a recent tragedy where a um, close personal friend of most of the panelists tonight, um, Angelina Collier, died in a murder-suicide on Sunday night at the hands of her soon-to-be ex-husband. And um, um, thanks to his um, actions, there are three orphan children left behind, and we're trying to raise money to um, set up um, college funds for her small children. So if you can share that GoFundMe link or um, contribute any amount, it would be um, very much appreciated. Um, and, and would go so far to help Angie's children, so we really appreciate it. Um, so, again, tonight's topic is domestic violence in the black community, but we will be um, touching on domestic violence as a whole, as well as domestic violence within the black community, within the LGBTQ community, and um, domestic violence against trans women, um, which is becoming more and more of a very serious issue. But before we jump into the panel discussions, I wanted to share some um, links about recent news concerning issues having to do with domestic violence. Um, the first is concerning Marissa Alexander. Um, Marissa Alexander, Avita, you know the story pretty well because I know you've been following it too, right? Right. Yeah, um, Marissa Alexander, yeah, she's a Florida woman that was um, arrested on 1020 Life for firing warning shots. Um, I don't, who's that, do you hear clicking on the line, Rita? Um, I don't hear any clicking, though. Oh, but you were hearing it before, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, just clicking in and out, I don't know what's causing that. But anyway, um, Marissa Alexander is a woman in Florida, um, and she had fired warning shots into the air um, when she was being threatened um, by her husband, and though no one was hurt, she was given 20 years, and then... Um, Angela's Corey's um, legal team was trying to um, triple her sentence to 60 years. And again, um, this is a huge issue with domestic violence. And oh, the chat box is open. I'm going to put it in. Right, I'm going to put the link in the chat box now if you guys want to read this, the listeners. And um, what happened was that clicking is still there. Um, what happened was um, finally um, um, she is they're going to overturn her 20-year sentence. Um, I want to hear from our panelists what you, how you um, felt about the Angela Corey situation. Um, Monique, we'll start with you, please. Um, I'm actually, I was very sad to hear about what happened to her um, because as 
women, we should be able to defend ourselves and not be punished for it. Um, And I think that there have been history of domestic violence in her home. Um, So it's just something that really needs to be addressed. And it was I found it ironic um, that that happened in Florida, you know, with the Sandra Brown law, um, mm-hmm. where, you know, we've recently experienced how that has been used against, you know, black people in general. And it's just sad to see where another case, you know, where a woman was actually, you know, standing her ground and she got sentenced, you know, to 20 years, which I'm happy to know that her sentence is being overturned. Yeah, um, the thing about um, Stand Your Ground, and I, I live in Florida, and what a lot of people um, don't know is that Stand Your Ground isn't the only gun law in Florida. Um, there's also um, 1020 Life. For those who don't know how 1020 Life works, it works like this. If you bring a gun to a crime and you pull out that gun, that's an automatic 10 years. If you fire that gun, that's an automatic 20 years, which is what she was getting, the 20 years under 1020 Life. And if anyone is hurt by, that, by those bullets that you shoot, um, even if they're not killed, that's automatic life sentence. Now, rarely is the, the law, that law enforced so harshly, but it is enforced, and it was one of those um, laws that was used to scare people out of using guns. But then you have the laws like stand your ground. And unfortunately, we've been seeing in, the, in recent years that uh, I don't know whose phone is making that clicking noise in and out, but if it is you... Um, please um, mute your phone or try calling in again. I don't know which one of the panelists this is, his phone is doing this. Um, as I was saying, um, the way that the laws are executed depends very much on race, unfortunately. So, yeah, that, there's an aspect of it. Um, so, Yini, how did you feel about the Marissa Alexander case? I'm happy to hear that her sentence is being overturned, but I'm just sad that she had to go through everything that she did. Um, both as a victim of domestic violence and later just seeing how the court reacted and her initial sentence. I just feel like she shouldn't have had to go through that. Oh, I agree with you completely. And I was waiting for somebody to bring bring that up, like how long she'd been in prison and going through legal battles before it's been finally overturned. I think it's been like two years, maybe a little more than two years now since the initial arrest. That, that's ridiculous. Um, Vita, what do you think about this? Well, the thing that's interesting is even though it gets overturned in court, there's still going to be a ton of legal things that she's going to have to work out and go through. Keep in mind, she hasn't been working. She has kids. She hasn't seen. She has to get her kids back. So you're talking about even if she is overturned, I mean, the fact that she had to go through what she went through to get to this point, and I'm piggybacking off what Saini said, you know, that's it's still a tragedy. Like, we can't erase that. Yeah, it's great. It's overturned. This shouldn't have happened in the first place. Okay, um, Tara, Sean, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I was just saying, um, what I was hearing about it, I'm thinking it's um, the result of the Trayvon Martin case. And all well, the Sean, media we're, stuff. we're having a hard time hearing you. Your voice is very muffled. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah, I can hear you a bit, a bit better. Okay, um, the Trayvon Martin case is a result of the media around the Trayvon Martin case. Yeah, well, your voice is still really muffled right now. I'm really can Vita, are you able to hear her clearly? I can hear her a little bit. It, um, she, it, it, you're not on speakerphone or in a hallway or something, because it's like it sounds kind of far yeah, away and echoey. 
Um, I'm sorry, I don't know why you can't hear me. I can't hear I can't hear you at all. It's really muffled. Um, I don't know what the situation of the phone is, but maybe um get a on a better reception area. While we wait for you, um I'm gonna introduce our last our, our other panelist, Danielle, one of our um panelists that was running late. Danielle um is here and she is a writer and she has a blog called diminutivediva.com. Excellent blog and she's actually doing a series on domestic violence right now. Um Danielle, say hi. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Um, Danielle, would you like to pitch in your thoughts on the Mercer Alexander situation? Well, I'm glad that we're discussing that one because when we talk about domestic violence, you will often have people tell women to fight back or take measures to protect themselves, but we don't stop and think about what the potential consequences of that could be, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. to say that you don't have the right to protect yourself, but thinking about the law and seeing how that could, you know, backfire as it did in the case of Marissa Alexander, um, I really think it shows how difficult and complex the issue can be for women trying to get out of abusive situations. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, well, um, the thing about the Marissa Alexander case too is, I'm not sure that she's the first, I'm pretty sure she's not the first woman to be incarcerated um, over, um, over defending herself against some sort of abuse or assault. She was just the first person to be incarcerated while not having actually hurt the intended victim or the alleged victim. Um, there was no victim in the case. She, she, she fired warning shots. Um, but there have been women who um, are, have served lengthy sentences for shooting men that um, were allegedly abusing them. Um, another story I wanted to link so we could talk about tonight um, is the issue of of Columbus Short. I don't know if you, any of you guys know about Columbus Short. Um, he is an actor. Um, he's currently on Scandal. Um, he's been in a few movies like Save the Last Dance 2 and Armored. And he's better known in the entertainment industry for um, being a choreographer. Um, he choreographed Britney Spears' Onyx tour and stuff like that. But anyway, Columbus um, Short's wife is filing for divorce. Or, um, he um, allegedly threatened her with a murder-suicide. And this was really, this really stood out to me after everything that um, as I said, many of the panelists went through this week concerning our friend who died this way. Um, and, you know, it's weird because I'm looking at the article, and I just posted a link of one of the articles concerning this. And there are a lot of um, people, unfortunately, women too, or, you know, at least um, avatars that claim to be women, saying um, very disheartening things about, oh, he seems like such a nice guy. Um, and you know, things like that, all the kind of things that you hear over the years in defense, I've heard, at least I've heard over the years, in defense of abusers and people that have been alleged of different crimes. And I'm not just talking about domestic violence, but we're talking, also talking about entertainers that have been accused of things like rape or child abuse. And there'll be this sort of thing where people are pandering and saying, oh, well, he's such a nice guy or he seems like such a nice guy. Um, I'll start with Danielle. How do you feel about the situation with Columbus Short? And I just put the link in the chat box. Okay. I have seen that link making the rounds in my Facebook, uh, my newsfeed. And 
I have yet to click on any discussions because of um, the exact same things that you mentioned that you're seeing. Um, it, it's hard enough trying to talk about domestic violence, period, but when it's a celebrity, when it's someone that's well-liked, you kind of already know the reaction it's going to get. You know, they're immediately going to give all of their sympathy and concern to the abuser and try and minimize it. Oh, it's a misunderstanding. It was just an argument. She's overreacting. So, again, I, I, oh, yeah, I haven't even looked at the comments because this week I'm like, I can't. Like, I'll, I'll flip out. Um, no, what you're saying actually is one of the comments that I saw um, – is where somebody was saying, well, you know, he this is his first run-in with the law, and a lot of other people are more concerned about how this is going to affect that television show scandal. Um, uh, Tara Sean, yes. I don't know if this is working right now. Um, what are what are your thoughts on this, Tara Sean? Hello, Tara Sean. Okay, Tara I think she still has. Yeah, I think she hung she up. She, okay. Oh, wait, I think she's calling right back in. Let's see if we can get okay. her in. Okay, how's her in? Tershawn? Tershawn, are you in? Okay, I guess not. Okay, um, all right, I'm gonna try, we're going to try to get her back. In the meantime, um, Monique, how do you feel about the situation with Columbus Shore? Now, again, um, She's saying that she's filing for divorce because he threatened her with a knife. And as far as anyone knows, there is no history of physical abuse in that relationship. But I'm guessing there might have been an element of psychological or verbal abuse. How do you feel about this threat that he made and her reaction and the public's reaction? Well, what I've seen a lot, and you ladies have mentioned, is that the abuser most times, you know, receives the sympathy of people. And I think that's because what people see with abusers, their um, impression, the impression that's given is not always the same of how that person will react in their home. And I think that's what most people forget. So you may see someone as a really nice person, they may be educated, you know, whatever, um, you know, they have with them that people may put, you know, on a high pedestal or um, may get more respect than other things. But we have to remember that in intimate relationships, a lot of times things that go on in the home do not happen outside of the home. So people don't, they don't get to witness it. Yeah, I definitely. Uh, what is that noise? Um, whoever's in that area, could you please mute your phone? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the mic now to um, Soyini. How do you feel about this situation? So I feel like you have to be careful when you find yourself wanting to defend someone that you don't know. You know, he's successful, he's attractive, his persona is appealing, but that alone should not be a reason to defend someone like that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a caution to all of us to. You know, try to be careful about who we just give a pass to or who we just try to defend without knowing anything about them. And I'd also like to point out that, according to the news sources I read, this is not his first um, domestic violence charge or case. So he does oh, have some. Oh. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, what, are, what were the other charges in the past? 
Um, the same domestic violence charges a couple years ago, um, in one incident, his child was present. So it seems as if there's been more than one incident. And then, of wow. course, he's gotten into brawls and had these physical aggressions with, you know, involved in fights and so on. So, you know, he had some history of violence. Well, you know, this is what, and I'm going to piggyback off what Monique said, um, and this is something that, at least in, in my culture, in Haitian culture, people say all the time, everyone has at least two faces, the person they are in the streets and the person they are in their home. And you don't know somebody until you know the person they are in their home. Um, I mean, a lot of a lot of times too with entertainers, people are judging them by how beautiful the songs they sing are, or how great the characters they play on TV are. But I understand they everyone can feel emotion. Everyone who has the capability to write can write something beautiful. And as far as acting, anyone that has the capability of acting can portray a role when they're being paid to portray that role. That character is not who they are in real life. <laughs> um, Zia, how do you feel about this? You know, I was reading the article, and it's interesting because a lot of the things that they say that, that he did is that, that came out of the report, it's pretty um, – it's, it's, the things he said and the way he said it's not it's not very uncommon. Because I used to work with domestic violence victims. I worked in nonprofit and social services for many years, and you work with families that have open DCFS and probation cases, and a lot of them involve domestic violence. And um, it, there's a, a lot of it is, is power and control, and you can see that coming from what's um, being reported. So I, I never try to jump to conclusions. I really don't. But seeing that there's been uh, issues before, and then I'm reading this, and, the, and at least the way it's coming across, it, it, it's it's hard. It's really hard for me to for that automatically. I just don't see it because this is pretty horrific. Putting a knife to someone. Um, telling this, she said that he wanted to play a game called Truth or Truth, threatening to stab her if she lies. What I mean, the, the hell? thing about the thing about the uh, thing about a lot of abuse is, is it's also psychological. It's not just you know um, one one argument that went a little bit too far. We're talking about someone who is psychologically fucking with your head at the same time that they're physically abusing you, threatening your life. And that's what I'm yeah, reading here. Yeah, this is another element. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Continue what you're saying? No, I mean, that's pretty much it. Like, that's what I'm reading here, and that's that's pretty consistent with domestic violence. When you talk about domestic violence victims, um, that's not uncommon, the way that happens, the psychological and the physical occurring at the same time. A lot of times psychological occurs first, but also can occur at the same right. time. I mean, that's a mind game, telling someone truth is truth, and I'll stab you if you lie. It's a mind game on top of threatening someone's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, the way that I see it, um, too, it's not. And this is on a on a fringe topic a little bit, but this is not very different at all from the way people were abusing um, people like, or, excuse me, were defending people like R. Kelly and Woody Allen when they were abused of when they were accused of sex crimes. It's for that same mentality where he's a celebrity or like Columbus Short. He's an actor on this show that I like, R. Kelly. He's such a great singer. Woody Allen, he's such a great film director. So they must be innocent. <laughs> um, I definitely think there's a pathology of defending people that are well-liked. I mean, and, I also, you know, I think you were wrong about that person. But see, I think in addition to that, there's also this element of, you know, we have to assume 
we have to since someone is this famous, they can't be this bad. I mean, we have this perception of what the quote-unquote bad guy looks like. We have a perception of what abusers look like, sexual abusers, sexual predators, uh, pedophiles. We have these images of what these people look like. And based off of movies, they look evil, and we could tell by, I mean, it can't be, Colin sure he looks so nice. He, he's a choreographer. He has a great career. He's not sitting in a bush somewhere. He's not some crazy alcoholic who just beats up women walking down the street. Therefore, he, this, can't be, this can't be real. This isn't what the image I have of an abuser looks like. Oh, no, I feel you on that. And I think there's an element, too, of, like, hero worship. Um, especially in America, there is a lot of celebrity um, idolization. And people... People um, hate to admit that their gods are flawed. Um, you know, that's that's one way I have of putting it. Um, but I want to get into the discussion questions while we still have time because we're already a half hour into the show. So now before I get started, I'm going to point out that we are talking with most of these questions. I'm not just talking about physical abuse or sexual abuse, but also psychological and, um, and um, financial abuse as well as abuse of children in, in order to um, psychologically harm the spouse. So our first panel question is, um, are there any specific factors, do you feel, um, and the examples are religion, um, patriarchy, even the economy that you feel contribute directly to domestic abuse? Um, so, Yini, do you want to answer first? Sure. Um, I want to be careful about the word contribute. I just don't want it to see like a justification in any way. But mm-hmm. I do feel that um, patriarchy on the whole has a significant impact. You know, when you feel like someone is less than you, it's much easier for you to treat them as less than human, you know. And some of that is also enforced by religion as well or reinforced by religion. But to say that just because you're unemployed or just because you're going through something, um, you know, that might lead you to domestic violence, I, I feel like there should be more control and more respect. And this is the person that you say that you love. So, you know, things like that alone should never put you in that mental space. Okay. Um, well, um before I'm, I get to the other panelists and let them answer this question, I'm going to piggyback off something you said because it's something that I personally feel um, about. And um, domestic violence, especially in cases where there are children involved, obviously affects more than just the woman or the man in the cases where the man is being abused. It affects the children as well. And um, I hear all the time from people who say in one breath that hitting someone you love is wrong but also condone um, the spanking of children. Um, I feel that that sends out a mixed message, especially for your daughters, um, for parents to say in one breath, I love my daughter, and spank her, and then not think how she is going to tie that in to a man beating her later down the line. How do you feel about that? I just, um, I feel like there should be communication and there should be other ways of dealing with situations besides violence. It shouldn't be the first resort, the first thing that you turn to. You know, mm-hmm. and it definitely shouldn't be something that you do in anger. It shouldn't be that you just get frustrated and you just want to lash out. Mm-hmm. And people need to realize that these impulses are not normal or not correct. Mm-hmm. No. I'm I think glad it's that you too normalized. 
this 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 idea that um this is the thing that you should go to when it is um a heated reaction. If you feel the need to put your hands on someone, that's usually fueled from emotion. Um unless you are touching them to defend yourself. Um we Tereshawn is back on the line, so I'll let her answer this question. Tereshawn, do you think there are any specific factors that contribute directly to domestic abuse? Yes, I like the idea of um, addressing with children because um, I do believe if you're telling children that, you know, I'm hitting you, but I'm doing what's best for you, so then when they become adults and they come in these relationships, then they're with someone and they hit them, and they're telling them, well, I'm doing what's best for you, and then they internalize the behaviors and they think, it's their fault that they actually deserve the abuse. And even go further than that, um, they, they think they can change the abuser. They think that if they change their behavior, they can change their abuser. So they don't, the focus isn't on the abuser anymore. There's a victim who takes the blame for the actions that's going on in the relationship. I'm glad you brought up internalizing some of the abuse. Hello? Yeah. Hello? Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that you are strong. Uh, I'm echoing. Hello? Yes. Okay. I'm my voice is echoing right now. I'm not sure what's going on. Um Zita, uh I'm uh okay, the echoing stopped. The reason I said I was glad that Tayshawn brought up the internalization of of abuse is because I do think that um, there are two things that a lot of parents can do as children are young, which is to either teach them to be an abuser or teach them to normalize a being abused. Um, Danielle, I'm going to pass the mic to you. Do you think there are any specific factors contributing to domestic abuse? Well, I would definitely say religion and patri- patriarchy, they, um, they tend to go hand in hand. Um, one thing that I have noticed, and I'm sure some of you guys have too, on Facebook and social media, you see a lot of these memes that are reinforcing this idea of the man is the natural head of the household, right? Yeah. Um, Because God said so or whoever said so. It's his job to run the house and keep everyone in check, but but that includes a woman, you know, even though she is an adult as well, there's this situation where women are kind of viewed as children, you know, they need to be talked to a certain way and put in check and discipline if necessary. And you see that mentality, unfortunately, in our community. You will have women even saying, well, well, he's my husband. He's supposed to tell me what to do, and I have to be obedient. You know, if I get out of line, he has to put me back in. So, um, again, yeah, I definitely see religion and patriarchy. One more thing before you guys pass the mic, I wanted to share with you guys um, when I saw this question. I can remember actually going to a church once with a couple of women who were victims of domestic violence, and the pastor knew that, and he preached a sermon about domestic violence. But his argument was the reason why some women have to go through domestic violence is because their fathers weren't around to properly discipline them when they were children. So now it's on their husbands to train them, you know, and teach them how they're supposed to act. And nobody saw anything wrong with that mentality. No one complained, spoke up, or anything. It was it was considered normal and acceptable to view women in violence that way. Yeah, uh, um, I understand what you're saying. I'm going to put, put, say two things about what you just said. The first one is that 
it really burns me every time people, when you say discipline a child, people automatically assume you're talking about physical punishment. I'd like to point out that nearly every single person who was littering the world's prison was spanked as a child, and just because you turned out all right, quote, unquote, yet to be determined, doesn't mean that it's okay to put your hands on your child um, out of discipline. And two, every time I've heard a woman use the word obedient when she's talking about her husband, it makes my skin crawl. Um, but, um, yeah, <laughs> now that I've gotten that out, <laughs> um, Monique, how do you feel about the question? Um, do you think there are any specific questions contributing to domestic abuse? Um, I agree with everyone else. Um, definitely religion and patriarchy. And um, just to add to what um, everyone has said, you know, a lot of times uh, with men believing that they are the head, you know, what comes with that is a lack of respect, you know. They don't respect the opinion of, you know, the woman that they're with. And that in itself just, it, it presents an imbalance in a relationship. And, you know, it's just, it's really sad. Now, the, the one thing that I don't agree with is economy um, because abusers um, come from various economic backgrounds. It's not, you know, something that's more prevalent in, you know, poor communities um, and not in, you know, well, actually, where the people it, are well to do. Actually, statistics have shown that there is more domestic violence or at least more reported domestic violence per capita in poor communities. Um, do you think this is just because of the concentration of people in the area, like there are more I don't know, like their or the the urban environment, or it perhaps that if a person's already abusive, then economic struggle just makes them more prone to be abusive. Honestly, I think that um, there may be a discrepancy because of you know you're saying what's reported and what's not, and I think that what may happen, you know, in communities where people have more resources, um, just the fact of having more resources, that can make it easier for them to leave an abusive relationship and not have to seek, you know, help from community organizations or even, you know, having to go to um, the authorities. So, you know, that's, that's just my opinion on that. Um, I've been in a few... Um, domestic violence um, groups, and so I've seen many faces, you know, from many walks of life. Do you think it's possible, too, that a wealthier man um, can get away with abusing his wife more effectively, like abusing her physically and financially, and knowing that, um, you know, especially financially, of an incentive to try to get away because she would, you know, have no assets without him. Right. Well, that's one of the obstacles to leaving is the economic portion because some women, you know, who are the homemakers may give up their, you know, school, you know, job and things like that, you know, to dedicate their lives to their family. So Hello? it makes it does make it easier for the man to um, – use that economic, you know, control over the wife. And it may, 
you know, make her feel that it's better just to stay so she doesn't have to deal with those struggles. Okay, um, Vita, how do you feel about the first question? Do you think there are any specific factors contributing to domestic abuse? Um, I think you guys touched on a few of them. I definitely um, agree with um, physical discipline of children and how they perceive um, violence um, in their home and from people that are supposed to care about them and love them. Um, so I definitely think that's a contributing factor. But in addition to that, um, I think the way we – it just goes back to patriarchy, like Danielle was saying um, – how we treat our boys and the way uh, strength and masculinity is taught to them through patriarchy. The idea that I have to always prove that I'm stronger, that I'm bigger, that I'm better, that I'm, you know, I'm the man, I'm the head. Having to constantly, we constantly pump this into our boys. I mean, if you look at the images of, of heroes, they're always big and bulky and strong, and they're out of Schwarzenegger, and you know, they have to match up to this idea of what a man is. And I think when you keep pushing that, and then, you know, you have these men who, and, and I hate to say it this way because some, and I feel like this is sort of a, a, a misguided, um, I won't say stereotype, but this isn't fully, this isn't fully encompassed the totality of abuse. But, you know, the idea that sometimes you'll hear people say um, this man wouldn't, even, that's attacking this woman wouldn't attack a man that way. And honestly, sometimes that is the case even though I don't think that encompasses the totality of the mentality of an abuser. I mean, I've definitely seen some that will fight anybody. Um, but the idea that, you know, here's this person who, and women, let's be honest, typically we're physically, uh, we're not physically as strong as men are. We don't grow as big, our muscles don't get as strong unless you, like, work on it, you know, day and night. And a lot of us are not stronger or bigger than the men that we're with. And, you know, if you have someone who's constantly being told and being pushed since they were, you know, a baby that they have to always prove that they're a man and that the way you prove that is by showing that you're bigger and stronger and then this man gets into a relationship with someone and he thinks that this is how he has to exert his authority or have authority. He has to have his authority of a woman. That's the other thing you'll constantly hear. You know, you how come you don't know how to control your woman? How come your woman can say whatever she wants, you know? Until we can change that view of what, mas- what being a man is and what masculinity is, I don't think we're going to see too many changes culturally. Yeah, um, I'm so glad that you brought that up, Um, especially before and as um, you just touched on it, I was saying before, um, things that we internalize as normal as children, keep telling your child, I'm hitting you because I love you um, instead of looking for other ways of discipline. Um, What people don't understand is most people that go into abusive relationships didn't grow up seeing abuse in their household but a lot of them were physically disciplined as children, and it, this is kind of just taking that next ladder to that next step where it's okay for somebody else to put their hands on you. Um, this this culture that we have saying that it's ever okay to ever intrude on another person's space and put your hands on them um, for the sake of harming them, even if it's out of quote-unquote discipline, is a culture that I feel specifically, besides the other factors that were just named, does contribute to domestic violence. Because if a person has never had a loved one put their hands on them, anything, they would be less prone to putting up with a physically abusive relationship. But, you know, as we said before, there are other types of abuse that a person can go through. Um, The next question, and I think I'll have um, Danielle um, be the first to answer, how do you feel about society's general attitude towards abuse victims and what positive changes do you feel could be made? 
How do I feel about society's attitude? Um, I'm very frustrated by it. Um, as we touched on earlier with the Columbus Short case, there's such a deficit of empathy towards people who are being physically abused. Even when we have discussions, the first response is always, well, how, how, why are they with this person? How did they get with this person? Why don't they just leave instead of putting more of the responsibility on the person who's, you know, committing the abuse and, and trying to get them to stop and question them? We, we put so much responsibility on the people who are suffering, and um, it's not right. It, it's ridiculous. In terms of positive changes, I would like to see more empathy shown to them in general, um, and I also think that there need to be changes in the way law enforcement handles these cases. Um, oftentimes, even when women do get to the point where they're, you know, ready to leave and the abuser doesn't have the same psychological grip on them and they're ready to get away from them and get restraining orders, they're not taken seriously by law enforcement. I've had personal friends, you know, where we have that, problem we were trying to get them out of the abusive situation and going to the police and saying, you know, what was going on, they, you know, they don't have that sense of urgency or concern, or they just assume, oh, she's just going to be back with him next week anyway, so it doesn't even make any sense for us to even try and help her. And it's very difficult and very discouraging for women who are in those situations of being abused. So to wrap it up, I would say that it's an issue that really needs to be taken a lot more seriously than it currently is in our country. Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Um, all right, uh, the next person I would like to answer is my – well, before um, I let anyone else answer, I'm going to link one of Danielle's blog posts from her blog into the chat box, and this one is in, entitled Stay. I highly suggest that all the listeners read that post as well as her her entire um, – domestic abuse series. It's still um, in production. And the whole blog, if you have time, it's all very interesting. It's a great blog, very enthralling read, um, great writing, excellent writing. Um, the next panelist, well, not panelist, but I'd like my co-host, Vita, to answer this question next, please. Okay. Yes, question again. <laughs> Um, the question was, how do you feel about society's general attitude towards abuse victims, and what positive changes do you feel could be made? Um, the interesting thing is, I think, and it's going to go back to what was just said, it's the constant questioning of the victim as though, well, why didn't you do this, why didn't you do that? Um, that's a problem, and I think that still happens. And I think people wait until the victim has validated themselves before they bring in sympathy, before they bring in, okay, let's figure out what to do next. Let's figure out, you know, and like it doesn't become a concern until the victim has validated themselves to the to whoever's observing. Um, I think that's a huge problem, and I think that's, you know, um, it, 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 I don't think that gets us to the place where we're able to say, okay, let's protect victims. And if it turns out something wasn't as you know uh, wasn't the way it was or what, what, what way it was perceived, we can make corrections after that. But let's get people safe first. So give them the sympathy. Let's give them. Let's make sure that you know people are taken care of because people aren't going to come forth if they're afraid to, you know. And if we if we are constantly questioning and blaming the victim, victims aren't going to come forward. There's no point in coming forward if I know if I'm going to get if I'm, things will probably just end up being worse. 
because now I have to go through this entire scrutiny trying to validate myself on top of whatever mm-hmm. the retaliation might be from the person I'm with. That's a very scary position to be in. If you know that you, if you feel as though you won't get the support you need to get out of your situation, um, do I see? What do I see as far as the future? <sighs> Honestly, I'd like to say I know, but I don't. Because sometimes I feel a little bit of hope because because I, I run into more progressive people, um, and I'll say even I even run into more progressive males um, along my journey. But uh, as far as my journey in life or whatever, but. Um, at the same time, I run across a lot of ignorant people who still believe in blaming the victim, or they automatically see the victim as a problem, as though they caused it, they deserve it. Well, what did you do to start this problem? Obviously, you started the fight. You shouldn't have threw a pencil. Maybe he wouldn't have punched your face in, as though those are equal things to take place, you know. Um, and I think, and I think some, you know, so I, until I, until we can change the way people see the victim or see the victims of violence. It's going to be very difficult to get to that next phase, but I have some hope because I think we're getting I think we're getting to a place where we can discuss things more, especially with communication and the internet, and you know we can start to blast things like, hey, this wasn't right. Whereas before, you know, it was very difficult to call people out on their bullshit. So, you know, I think there'll be progress because of communication, and I'm remaining hopeful. But some of these mentalities have still got to change. Okay, um, so Yini, how do you feel about the question? How do you feel about society's general attitude towards abuse victims and what changes would you like to see made? You know, I also feel frustrated. I feel as if those of us who actually do care just swimming against this huge tide of resistance, you know, this is designated as a woman's issue and it should be also a men's issue and a community issue. You know, she's like the nice, it's just us against the world. Yeah, um, I you know, in terms of um, the positive changes that could be made, like everyone else said, you know, the victim shouldn't be the one on trial, you know, and there should be more protection of women from even getting into the situation or even encountering predators. Like I call abusers predators because to me that's what they are, and they're just, you know, out free and no one really knows enough about them. So I, I do like the idea of the National Registry, which I've seen kind of popping up here and there. I think Texas, New York, and so on. Um, so that people can be aware of who the abusers are or might be and um, just have some sort of, I think more focus needs to be on protecting women from the predators that exist out there. Okay, what about you, Monique? Um, how do you feel about society's attitude toward abuse victims and what changes would you like to see? Um, unfortunately, I think that um, a lot of people don't understand you know, what domestic violence entails. And like Vita said, um, there's a lot of blaming of the victim. And what a lot of people don't get is that a woman in that situation most likely is already blaming herself. That's the last thing she needs is for people who she's confiding in or reaching out to for help or in general just seeing the overall attitude of people to be, it's your fault. You know, we don't, as a woman who has been in an abusive relationship, you know, I remained silent for a long time because of how people would respond, you know, to certain things. But I do have hope because with the agencies that I've worked with um, in New York and here in North Carolina, I've seen a lot of positive changes and programs that they are implementing um, to help 
bring awareness, even on the level of going to high schools teaching. Um, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, the Women's Commission, they actually work with the Department of Social Services and um, the Charlotte Police Department, and they teach classes, like even for the police officers. I, I can't remember who mentioned it, how, you know, even the police can be insensitive to the victim. So I'm, I'm happy to see that there are, um, you know, people who are taking a stand and trying to, you know, bring more education and understanding to, you know, the ones who women will go to for help. And hopefully more people will start to um, just grasp what domestic violence really entails and they'll have that empathy for the victims. Well, thank you. Um, I'm going to piggyback off something that Soyini said, I believe, or Soyini that said it, about the, you know, the victim being put on trial and being forced to validate themselves. And the validation issue is one that I see a lot. We see that in a lot of things. Um, um, victims of all walks of life, all ages, all different, you know, circumstances. I'm talking about child abuse instances of rape where basically the victim is put on trial. But when you're talking about domestic violence, it's not just a person um, that can be put on trial, but their entire, um, their personhood um, or their gender, like as been, has been the case with a lot of trans women who have come forward about domestic violence and, you know, have been ridiculed and mocked when it's come to light that they are a trans woman. Um, basically, you know, if you didn't want to be beat, then you shouldn't have, you should have stayed a man like God made you or things like that or in the LGBTQ community, you know, um, you're a part of an orientation that is still um, societally marginalized and discriminated against and that might make it that much harder to come forward and discuss the abuse that's going on. Um, you know, it's one of those situations where pretty much everything about you and everything that you are is going to come under scrutiny and it brings me back to what I was saying earlier um, I believe I was speaking with Monique, and I was talking about how perhaps it's easier for um, abusers with money to abuse um, their wives or girlfriends for longer periods of time, because if you're going to put the victim on trial, then by comparison, this person is only going to look better and better, especially if they're wealthy. And, um, you know, American society has pretty much trained people that wealthy people can't be criminals. Um, my next question for the panel, um, and I will start. Um, I will start the answering with Soyini. What are your honest thoughts on recurring victims? And by recurring victims, I'm not just talking about that person that leaves that man and comes back to him over and over, um, like someone I, th I believe it was Zita touched on or Danielle touched on, but also um, women who seem to be in a who seem you know throughout their lives to be in a string of abusive relationships with various men. Now, I've seen recently that, there, that a lot of people feel there's a pathology, um, both um, environmental upbringing and um, mental stability, that lead to a person being an abuser. Do you think there's a certain pathology behind someone being a victim, um, a chronic victim? And I think people who are chronic victims tend to be, emotionally broken down or vulnerable in society. 
So mm-hmm. I don't think it's necessarily a pathology. I think it's just something perhaps in, due to their past experiences, they may have issues with their self-esteem and so on, and they tend to be actually targeted by abusers. Abusers mm-hmm. can, can spot people who may have low self-esteem, and they might actually be targeted, you know. I don't think they necessarily go about looking for someone who's going to abuse them. You know, most of them don't. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit, you know, I feel sad that on top of going through all of the abuse that they go through, they're expected to just kind of fix themselves up and move on and make better choices in the future. We need to have more um, psychological, more help for these women so that they're able to heal more completely, you know, and even if they could possibly be prevented from getting in that situation in the first place. Again, by having self-esteem lessons and so on for girls and just building them up, building up them up to be strong people, you know. So I'm glad you brought up self-esteem um, because and, and and about you know um, abusers preying on people with low self-esteem because I think a lot of people, especially those who don't view um, verbal and psychological abuse as abuse, which it is, fail to realize that, you know, it's not just the day you meet, the guy starts slapping you around. Um, There is, like, a a sort of, like, a grooming process behind it where, you know, the guy will be intimidating or threatening and see how far he can push you until that initial slap or punch and see how much you'll take thereafter. I definitely think there is a factor of manipulation and abusers preying on and seeking out the sort of um, women that they feel are easiest to abuse. Um, Danielle, um, how do you feel about the question? I'd like your input. Um, I think Sweeney made a very good point regarding the psychological state of the victim. I think that we definitely need to have conversations about that, um, about mental health and people getting the help that they need instead of just expecting them, you know, to do it themselves. But one thing I would like to touch on as well, um, an issue that I feel contributes to women getting into these situations and staying in them is the fact that we're often trained to view men as fixer-uppers, you know. It's okay if he has a couple things wrong with him because all he needs is the love of a good woman to transform him and just make him into this this stellar guy. I mean, you need to stab in the fairy tales where the princess, you know, kisses the frog and he becomes a prince. Um, and, and I've heard that with women where they, they see that this guy is controlling, that, you know, you see all these different red flags, but they stay because, you know, they just think if they're just more patient or more understanding, that he'll change. They, they make excuses for it. You know, we're, we're very much conditioned to kind of treat and coddle men that way, even when we're the ones being hurt. So I think that that mentality really needs to be combated, and women need to understand that, no, you don't have to fix this guy up, and no, you don't have to sit here and, you know, tolerate this nonsense in hopes that he's going to magically change one day and it's going to get better because it's a very destructive um, mentality to have and and we really pay a high cost for it. Excellent point. Um, Vita, what is your answer to the question? Um, You know, uh, do you feel that, how do you feel about the recurring victim? And I just want to point this out for anyone that's listening. I'm not asking this question to put victims on blast or anything like that, 
I'm asking the question because it's a question that so many people, um, oh, it's, it's, a, it's an issue that so many people use as an excuse to not help abuse victims, as Danielle said, you know, things like, oh, she's, she's been down the show before, or she always leaves, she always goes back, though, so there's no point in helping her. Um, Vita, how do you feel about the recurring victims? Um, that's an interesting one because um, I, I have to agree that you, the, if you can see a pattern, um, you have to be aware of that. I don't know about pathology, but I would say that um, from I, I have a friend, I'll put it like this, I have a friend who's a, who has been a recurring victim. Um, she's not in a relationship now, but um, she's been in three, three of her uh, past relationships were all abuses. And the thing I recognize the most about her in her relationship, it's funny because, I won't say it's funny, but it's, it's interesting how if you know her outside of her relationship, she's a totally different person. Um, in her relationship, she's um, a lot, she doesn't speak out. She does, she's not very opinionated when, she's with her, when she was with her boyfriend. Um, every boyfriend she was with tried to isolate her from her friends. If she never had time for us, even in situations where he wasn't around. Let's say he was out, he would be out of town for a week. I remember one of her boyfriends, he was out of town for like a week, two weeks. In fact, I believe he was with another woman. But he would call her like every, I don't know, every whenever he had the chance, he would call her to see where she was at. And he would call the house phone to make sure she was at home. Um, whereas if you talk to her outside of the relationship, she was very outspoken. She was very independent, independent-minded. She was never one to go with the group. She was very, you know, um, she was the, she was like, in fact, she was very aggressive. Um, but for some reason, in her relationship, she had to be in every relationship. She had to be this overly submissive, obedient um, person. And, and honestly, this, it was should have, her mother had a similar relationship with her father who was, um, I don't know if he was physically abusive, but if you ever, if you, if you were ever around him, around them as a family, you could see the mom did whatever he said. You know, everything he wanted, everything was always taken care of as far as his needs. Anything mom wanted had to wait. Um, and he wasn't very nice to her. Do you think that was like an environment? Do you think that there was an environmental factor that, you know, taught her to normalize these relationships and maybe even subconsciously seek out abusive men? Honestly, and I hate to say that, but yes. I mean, because it was almost as if every man she was with had to be overly dominating to her, even though she was more so aggressive in every other part of her life. And, but when she got with this, whenever she was with her boyfriend or got into, in fact, she moved in with one of them, when I say abusive, he unplugged the stove, I mean, unhooked the stove, and then uh, poured gasoline all over the house. Wow. I mean, she was pregnant. Yeah. When she, when she told him he was, she was pregnant, he put a gun to her head. So that's how serious this situation got. Um, well, this, that was the last relationship she was in. Um, I mean, cause I feel that, and it's like, oh, I, feel, I believe Soyini brought up, you know, psychological help, because if there is, there is something about a, a person's um, mentality or environmental upbringing that can lead them to be an abuser, I feel that it's at least worth investigating, um, you know, why some women um, put up with, not just put up with, because that's, that's one thing, but actually learn to normalize abuse and 
um, possessive, manipulative men and uh, manipulative behaviors and see that as normal or see that as love. Um, so, wow, that, 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 is a, that sounds like a hellish situation. And I, I hope that your friend, you know, got out and that she is okay now and away from this person. I mean, as far as this, I mean, this is the thing, though. Like, and I, and I told you guys, um, I told some of you guys know this already, and I, I told you this, and like, this is a very sensitive topic for me because one, that was one of the situations that I witnessed because I witnessed some things in that relationship, um, and I had to fight for her, and she still went back to him, and that was very difficult as a friend, and then also seeing it also in my own household. Um, so this, so you know, this is an extremely difficult topic for me. But you know, I think it's also because not, we can, we'll probably get into this a little bit. Um, but I think that the other part is, you know, how do you watch someone you love go through these things? How do you help, especially when they're recurring victims? Because oh, yeah, you know what I mean. Definitely- there's definitely helplessness on the victims, and but yeah, I can see the helplessness too with loved ones who want to do something, but they they can't exactly drag you out of that situation kicking and screaming. Um, uh, Monique, how do you feel about that situation of the recurring victim? And um, again, not I'm not just talking about women that leave that same man and go back to him, but who seem to constantly be in an abusive relationship. I feel that more help should be given to both the abusers and the victims, I mean, not sympathy, but psychological help to the abuser um, as well as the victims um, in order to flesh this out. Um, how do you feel about it, Monique? Um, well, to touch on what you said about, you know, the psychological help for the abuser, that may not actually work. The person has to want to change, and before they, you know, have that desire to change, they have to accept that they have a problem. And most abusers can't accept that. They feel that what they do is right. And for recurring victims, um, something that I found in my research um, is some women who do get in abusive relationships are codependent. It's like there is something that, um, makes them feel that they need to be in a relationship where they are controlled or manipulated. And we've seen, you know, a common thing with abuse is that it starts out with the control and manipulation. So, so you some, women who, for, some, for whatever reason, have this need to be controlled and you have the man who needs to control somebody in order to to, to feel validated as a man. Exactly. And it's, I've, I've actually, I've read so many articles on it, and a lot of the things that I'm speaking on, you know, I've had personal experience with myself. And a lot of this has come from me actually looking at myself, you know, to try to understand why I stayed in the relationship for as long as I did, you know, um, so it's it's just that codependency part is one thing that definitely stood out to me. Okay. Well, thank you for that. For that, we should definitely. I think all of us should um, definitely look and um, research more into that ourselves. 
Um, right now, I'm going to take we're going to take a mid-show break and return with the rest of the panelists' questions. Um, and then after that, um, if we have some time, we will take some callers. Um, Vita, can you segue us into our break, please? So I have a couple of songs here. Um, I have a few. I've oh, a lot have, of. That's such a topic. I'm sorry. What? Did you say we have callers? Uh, we do, but we're gonna get to, we can get to them after the break, right? Yeah, so we'll get to them after the break. Yeah. So I was just two songs here, um, and I, could, I was gonna play just I gonna play just a couple of songs. Um, one of them's really short. Um, Tracy Chapman, Behind the Wall, and also um, Kay Michael and Aguilera. And I brought that in because you guys kind of touched on, you know, children, and um, we haven't talked about it as far as children witnessing it, but. Um, you know, I felt like this was also an important song. So I'm okay if I could sing Aguilera as well as Tracy Chapman behind the wall. Last night I heard the screaming, loud voices behind the wall. Another sleepless night for me, it won't do no good to call the police. Always come late if they come at all. Last night I heard the screaming, loud voices behind the wall. Another sleepless night for me, it won't do no good to call the police. Always come late if they come at all. And when they arrive, they say they can't interfere with domestic affairs between a man and his wife. As they walked out the door, the tears well up in her eyes. Last night I heard the screaming, then a silence that chilled my soul. Prayed that I was dreaming when I saw the ambulance in the road. And the policeman says, I'm here to keep the peace with the crowd dispersed. I think we all could use some sleep. Last night I heard the screaming, loud voices behind the wall. Another sleepless night for me, it won't do no good to call the police. Always come late if they come at all.
Um, this is them. We're back from our break. Um, and thank you so much to all the callers who have been listening in thus far. Um, before we get um, um, before we get back from our break, I would like um, to take some. Before we get back to our questions, I would like to take some um, callers. So um, before we let any callers on the line, please be advised that your commentary should be kept brief. I do want to get through the rest of the questions with our panelists. Um, Vita, who do we have on the line? So first up, we have uh, like Q. So Q, we're gonna go ahead and get you in. Q, can you say uh, where you're from, please? Q, your line is open. Q, Hello? your line is open. Yeah, I unmuted him. Q, your line is open. I guess he doesn't want to speak after all. Okay, next person. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know what? The other person dropped. So that was the only call we had left. There was Carl earlier. So, Carl, if you um, – we're opened up to callers now. So if you want to call back in, uh, come back. So anyone who's listening, um, you can call in, and we're taking calls now. So the number is 310-982-4273. Um, Q, you, um, if you are listening, we try to get to you. Uh, we'll give you another chance in the, in the, after the, the next round of questions. So, Amy, you want to go ahead? Sure. Um, our next question for the panelists, and I will start the questioning um, with um, Danielle again, is um, what would you like to see done to actively help abuse victims get away from their abusers, start fresh in terms of relocation, protection, child care, um, finding employment, et cetera? What would you like to see done um, to, to make these things more efficient and beneficial for the victims? Okay. Well, um, going back to one point that had been touched upon earlier was definitely the interaction with law enforcement is a major part of that um, in terms of restraining orders and having them actually enforced um, and taken seriously and having the person kept away. Um, I feel that's very important. Now, moving on to um, the other issues mentioned, relocation, protection, and child care, in terms of getting women out of abusive situations permanently, I can't overstate the importance of a support network. Um, be, of, of having people in your life who are seriously willing to help and not just say, oh, I'm gonna, you're going to be on my thoughts or everything, but no, if, if I have to call you at 1 o'clock in the morning because I need to come stay at your house with my two kids, are you going to let me do it, you know? If I need you to help me, you know, pick up my kids from their place of um, child care because I'm scared of going there myself in case the abuser is there, are you going to be able to do that with being, with having friends who have been in those situations and being able to, successfully get them out and transition, it really came down to that ultimately with them having that support system and with me and other friends and family really being able to do what we said we were going to do to help um, to, to help protect them and their children when, when children are involved as well. Okay. Um, Sayini, what about you? What would you like to see done to actively help abuse victims who are start, trying to start afresh? I'd have to agree with Daniel, first of all. 
that I think, you know, we need to do more in terms of restraining orders and jail time and actually getting the abuser away from the situation as opposed to getting the abused person necessarily away from their life and having to uproot their life and their kids. Um, but in terms of actually providing resources for them, definitely I think child care is one of the most important things because, you know, just for that mom to be able to get back on their feet, possibly rejoin the workforce and so on, child care is, is one of the most important and one of the most neglected areas right now. You know, you have shelters where they can perhaps come and stay, but it's only at certain times and so on, and there's no safe place for childcare, no safe place where they can leave their kids. Okay. Um, uh, Monique, what about you? What would you like to see done to actively help abuse victims who are trying to start afresh? Monique, are you still there? Monique, if you're speaking now, we can't hear you. You're probably muted. It's something a bit. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you now. Okay. I don't know what happened. Um, my phone wasn't muted, though. But um, I would like to see more programs that assist with housing um, and education um, for women who have been in DV relationships. Um, like everyone said, definitely the child care. And I've seen through some of the agencies that I've worked with, they do have programs set up for the children and for the women, you know, so that they can get back on their feet, even assisting with jobs, um, scholarships. So I would like to see that more. And also on a community level, I would like to see action, you know, from not just from our law enforcement, but um, um, it would be nice even for local businesses, like even, you know, donating clothes and things that women need to start over. Okay. So, well, yeah, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. Vita, what would you like to see done to actively help abuse victims start over? Um, I mean, I think you guys kind of touched on it. I, I'm not – it's funny because um, if you ask me about most other topics, the most social issues of, you know, social topics and things like that, I have most of my solutions are much more broader in the sense that I'm not the biggest on direct services um, in the sense that, like, you know, people say, well, what do we do about homelessness? Well, how about we fix the fact that people don't have employment and housing is limited in a lot of areas? You know what I mean? So I talk about public policy and things like that. And it's very difficult with, with this topic because, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what public policy could change the circumstances without a cultural shift. Um, I think state action is important. We definitely want to keep, you know, victims safe and keep their families, their children safe and keep them in a safe space. And there should definitely be funds to provide for that to make sure that if someone is uh, a victim of domestic violence and need a safe place to stay, that we have enough shelters, we have enough spaces for these women um, so they can get back in, on their feet. Um, but how do you how do you honestly and truthfully execute that? I mean, is there a way to make sure that we don't have so many victims? How do we change those circumstances? How do we reduce the number of people who are in need of services? That that's, that that's what makes it so difficult because it's not one of those things you could just say, okay, well, if we fix this problem, that will reduce the number of people who are in need of these services. Because they're not necessarily, like I said, you're talking about a mentality and a cultural shift. 
that has to take place. And I, I'm not really sure how you how do you really address that. I mean, I, how do you financially fund as if you're a, if you're a smaller city and you're trying to have safe spaces for women in your city? How do you make sure you have the funds for that? You know, and and, and being honest, I'm just being honest. I mean, how how do we really and truly execute that and have enough space, have enough beds, have enough childcare services, have enough programs? How do we really execute that? That's very difficult for me to do that honestly. That's an interesting point because we're bringing up what we would like to see done, but how is this financially feasible? And um, how and more importantly, how is it um, feasible on um, you know, on the level of how people already view abuse victims and willingness to change the status quo. Um, Vita, do we have any callers on the line right now? Uh, we do. Um, we have Q back. So, Q, your mic is open. Hello. How are you ladies doing? Hi. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I wanted to answer the question. I called for a different reason, but I want to answer the question that you posed in in this scenario. Um, I think that the core of the issue, and I'm more about what the actual solution is, uh, I think there needs to be said dollars put forth toward the abusers themselves. Um, Many abusers, which is a little-known fact, happen to be women who abuse men. Men happen to uh, run into scenarios of uh, being smacked around, whether that's in church, out of church. I had a deacon being abused by his wife to the point where his son came to him and said, Dad, you got to leave because Mom's going to kill you. So you you have to... Just one second. Just one second. Are you actually... I know that men are abused by women. Um, this is this is a very true point, and I did touch on that briefly. Um, some Some abuse victims are men. But are you actually saying that women are that men are abused just as much or more than women? I can't uh, do numbers on just as much as more because the reality is is that males do not file. Males um, kind of. Well, um, I'm not. I'm not arguing with that either. But the the question is, what do you feel should be done toward the abuse victims? And I didn't specify a gender. This is just the abuse victim. I, I apologize. I. I was just trying to give a solution. My apologies. The uh, abuse victims, just for the abuse victims, I um, I don't know what can be done more than what's already being done for the abuse victim because what I tell individuals when they're in this scenario and they're being abused, the better scenario is to leave for the abuser's benefit as well as the person that's being abused. So the question is just strictly for the abused person then that's the only resolve because monies are already being put forth. They're maximized, which is what the other lady was saying. Um, uh, um, no, hold on. I think, I, we're, I think we're, one of us is confused here um, because I think by abuse victim, you automatically assume that we mean the women. And while the majority of abuse victims are women, I, I'm, also, I'm talking about abuse victims in, in general, men and women who are being abused, and, of course, the children who are victims of that situation. You're saying your solution is to just leave, but I don't know how well you've been listening toward the radio broadcast thus far, but there are various reasons why people don't or can't leave abusive relationships. So the question is, what do we do to help them once they have actually left? What, what we can do to help them after they, after they have actually left. 
because these people need help, you know, um, in, with employment, um, with finances, um, sometimes with childcare, et cetera, et cetera. So um, what do you feel can, would be able to help these victims? I think from being in and around those scenarios, after they have left, I don't have a solution after they have left because, unfortunately, that is a conundrum to where it's a somewhat of an open-ended thing in the way that you put it. It's somewhat of a conundrum. You, once the person has left, unfortunately, what we do here in America is leave the person unto themselves. So it's the same way a vaccine, and I'm not, you know, I'm just trying to uh, 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 meet you in the middle. Um, it's the same way we say when a person has gotten out of jail, whether that jail be mental or physical, they're out on their own. There's nothing that's done for them to reassociate back into society. So to okay. say that. Okay. That's a good point. I'm sorry. You, that's, I mean, that's a no, 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 I just, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to understand something. I, I know, I'm so, sorry. Yeah, I know we went over our allotted time, but he did bring up a good point at the very end of, um, you know, that analogy of a, an abusive situation in jail, where basically when the person gets out, they're on their own. You know, we do, we do allocate some funds to getting abusers out, but not a lot to helping them start over or protecting them from the abuser um, after they've left that actual. Um, physical residence. Right. Okay. But this is this is the thing. Now, it's funny that you brought that up because actually I worked in both realms, working with um, people who were, you know, with reentry and realignment as well as domestic abuse uh, victims and things like that. And uh, he's absolutely right in the sense that we, we tend to leave people um, to themselves and to basically fend for themselves. And if people come out of prison and they can't find housing, there are all these laws in certain areas, like felons can't live in public housing together. So, you know, if your uncle who committed a felony lives with your grandma, you can't move in with your grandma, now you're homeless. So, so yeah, I understand um, that that definitely is an analogy there. But it's almost as if he's saying that there is no solution. Cause, but I, I disagree with that because there are solutions yeah. to help. Well, he said he the solution was. There are solutions. There are so, I'm still speaking. Um, there are solutions. There, are, there, can, there has to be something that can do people coming out of abusive relationships. I'm saying, yes, it's hard for me, and I'm having a hard time understanding exactly how that can happen. But um, I do think there's something that can happen, um, but it, I don't think it's as bleak. It just sounds, it, I don't think either has to be bleak. I don't think it has to be bleak for people coming out of prison, and I don't think it has to be bleak coming for, for people coming out of abusive relationships, men or women coming out of abusive relationships. I had a solution, but it's not uh, in the fit of the question that was posed for for those who are being abused. But I do understand. Uh, but my solution is at the root of the problem itself. But the way the question is posed, I don't have one because I've seen the I've seen it be very futile. So oh, well. once a person left the residence, no matter who they are, even a abused child. Once the per once the abused child have left, uh, a molested child. Once the child has left, it's the unfortunate thing that we do in America. We leave people unto themselves. The way the question was posed. Yeah, I mean that's a good point that we kind of leave abuse victims to themselves. Um, my next question for the panel. Um, thank you for your contribution, um, Q. By the way, thank you for calling in. Um, my next question to the panel is. Um, 
and this is actually segueing off what you just said, um, do you think that there is enough being done to help children that have experienced domestic violence? Um, and I'm not talking about like the child that was abused in the home or that was like beaten or molested, but just the child who experienced their parents or you know their mother or their father in some rare cases being slapped around and beaten down on a daily basis. Do you think there's enough being done to help them? Because when we think of abuse victims, we think of the adult in that situation, usually the woman in that situation, um, and any concern for the children is a byproduct of concern for her. But, you know, I'm thinking of the way that we've all discussed children are affected by abusive situations. Do you think we're doing enough to help these children? Um, so, Yini, I'll start with you. Um, I don't think we're doing enough, and I like the way that you put that. We think about the the mother and, you know, the children are just those extra appendages that she has, and it's really important to actually counsel and actually, you know, speak to these children and deal with their emotions as well to prevent them from normalizing what they have experienced. So I, I don't think that enough is being done, and I think that more counseling is crucial even to break the cycle as well of violence. That's a good point. That's a good point, breaking the cycle, because, you know, as we've all touched on in one form or another, um, there is um, an element of learned behavior that comes along with being both an abuser and a victim. And, you know, this is something that if a child experiences, they need to unlearn as soon as possible. Um, Danielle, um, do you think we're doing enough to help um, children of abuse? Um, I, my answer is pretty much the same as Selene's. I would definitely say, uh, no, we're, we're not doing enough. And I think it's crucial that we do more if we want to solve this problem because, again, some of those who do grow up to become abusers themselves or end up in abusive situations saw that, you know, growing up. And, and that's why it becomes normal to them and it's so easy for them to perpetuate um that that cycle, you see that even in those who, who who become victims, you know, because that was the norm for them. So I definitely think that there's more counseling that's needed, more attention that needs to be paid to uh, mental health of children and of these young victims if we really are serious about um, stopping this. I understand. And one more thing, I just wanted to say goodbye to you guys. I have to actually hang up now. I have a prior engagement uh, to get to with my daughter, but I thank you guys for the opportunity to participate, and I will listen to the rest of the segment later. Okay, thanks so much for participating, Danielle, and enjoy your evening. Um, and I'm going to pass the mic on now to Monique. Monique, do you think we're doing enough to help the children who have lived through or experienced domestic abuse? No, definitely not. And um, I don't think, I think there's always more that can be done. Um, and like I said, I'm speaking from my experience. And uh, most of the programs that I've encountered, they do have a program specifically for children. And most of them have the program set up based on age um, so that the kids do learn, like, what, is healthy in a relationship, and I think that is one of the most important things that we need to learn because even my, for myself, as a child growing up, I didn't grow up in a home where there was a healthy relationship. So I really didn't know what it entailed. So kind of when I got into my relationship, you know, we're kind of trying to figure everything out. So definitely the children need to 
receive counseling and have their concerns addressed because it most definitely affects them. And I'm like I said, I'm speaking from experience. And for me, um, one of the most important things was for my children to be okay, um, for them to understand what they experienced and what I experienced and to have them be able to express their concerns or, you know, discuss the things that they didn't understand or, you know, any of their feelings. It's, 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 it's really imperative that, you know, we start with our children. And so I would definitely like to see more done, you know, for the kids who have experience, you know, living in a home where there's abuse. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and it's actually, speaking of learned behavior, and it's something I want to touch on quickly, but I was having this discussion with Soini yesterday briefly on her Facebook page um, where she posted an article, and I'm going to actually, Soini, I'm going to rifle through your Facebook page right now so I can post a link for this article in the chat box. But it was an article that shows that a lot of young girls think that abuse in relationships is normal. And I, I brought up the Twilight series. Um, for people who don't know, the Twilight series isn't just a franchise of very horrible movies, but also very horrible books. Um, I read the Twilight series before seeing the films, um, or the first film anyway, because I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon of hating the film just in case it was just a really bad adaptation and not actually um, a bad subject matter. But I read the book, and in a nutshell, the series is about a girl named Isabella who is devoid of any goals, ambitions, interests, hobbies, friendships, quirks, basically devoid of any personality whatsoever. The only standout trait about her is the fact that um, she is, is woefully obsessed with a nearly 200-year-old vamp- vampire who has nothing better to do with his time than repeat high school over and over. Their relationship is incredibly possessive and manipulative, and as the series progresses, um, psychologically abusive and sexually abusive. And these things are, are written off as passion, as he doesn't know his own stress, as he behaves this way because he loves me. And the fact that this is, is, is being touted as normal is bad enough, but to say that it's not just normal, but that it's also love, that this is what love looks like, is terrifying. Um, at least it is to me. Um, Vita, um, how do you feel about um, you know, what should be done about domestic abuse, um, children who experience domestic abuse? Um, do you think we could be doing more for them? Um, we could always be doing more. I mean, we honestly don't think it's possible to do enough. Um, but my experience working in social services, these things don't exist in a vacuum, you know. Um, you have a lot of these youth that end up in these situations where their family, you know, they're from an abusive family, um, primarily the, uh, a parent who's abusing another parent. And then what happens is these kids go to school. These kids go to school. They have to interact with their, with their peers, interact with teachers. And a lot of times we... You know, because of how we look at children, and we're always we have this belief that children have to fall in line and do what we say. They don't have a lot of room to breathe. Um, they go to school and they're you know they're acting out, which isn't unusual. I mean, when you're when you're in pain and you're going through some things, even as adults, 
we begin to act out in a certain way. Maybe we don't become disrespectful to authority, or maybe we do, um, or, or who we deem as authority in the society, rather. But um, so, you know, we, these kids go to school, and they're, they're mistreated at school because, you know, no one wants to take the time to figure out what's going on with this kid because this kid is just a problem. Um, and a lot of times domestic violence, you know, these are things that occur for a while over time. So, you know, this kid is experiencing this in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, they get to third grade, and all the teachers just see see this kid as a problem. They don't see the fact that this kid is going through some things because we don't care. Um, I mean, it's similar to, you know, it's it's just the mentality that we have about children. They need to fall in line regardless of what their circumstances are. Um, I I mean, I even see it with parents, you know, and how they talk to their children. It's, you know, the children, instead of figuring out what, what happened, why the child made the decision that they made, you know, if, if you disobeyed me, you didn't do what I told you to do without actually finding out what's going on. Not saying that you can't discipline your child, um, but looking into the reasons why and trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that's the real problem is that these kids don't have a space. You can't go home and talk about it because it's happening at home. You go to school, you're either afraid they're going to take you from your parents or they mistreat you when you get to school anyway. So we have to honestly just change how we treat children in general. And then those spaces, so when you have kids who are in these spaces, they can feel okay getting help. They can feel, okay, at least I'm safe at school. If they're unsafe, they don't feel safe and happy at home not to go to school and become victims of abuse from school staff, and that's what it really is, if you ask me, because we're too busy labeling kids and saying that they're a problem. Um, you know, these kids don't have, enough, don't have that space. We need to create that. We need to create, like, okay, regardless of what's going on at home, you're safe here. Regardless of what's going on at home, you're not going to be a victim here. You're not going to be abused here. We're not going to continue the abuse. Um, and I know that's very general and very broad. And I don't have, you know, well, let's get them, you know, let's put them in this program or that program. I don't have that solution, but I do think we change how we look at children and how we treat them. Children who are victims of abuse or in homes where there's abuse happening can have a space where they can feel comfortable, where they can learn, where they can grow, where they can, you know, get something outside of that space as well as giving them a space where they can speak up about it and not and not out of fear and not be afraid to speak out, I mean. Well, you, you brought up an excellent point, um, Zita. Thank you. I do think that children should be made to feel safe in school. However, um, the general atmosphere, at least in American culture, is that one where children don't really respect school officials that much anyway. I think if we could do more to make sure that abuse isn't happening in the homes, then it would be irrelevant or nearly irrelevant well, how that child well, was treated at school. Because well, I mean, this that's is my thing. No, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to elaborate. Like, this is my thing. You can give this child room to grow. You can give them a, a space to create. But if they're that same scared, terrified person who is a subconsciously absorbing these learned behaviors when they're at home, then you might not be doing very much in the end but putting a Band-Aid on a horrible situation. Okay, and I and I, but I feel like what you're saying is a given. Obviously, you know, we want to change the situation in the home, and that's the main solution. But I guess I was I was answering the question as though, you know, well, what can we do outside, I mean, you know, for these kids? I mean, the thing is, we, we, they, they still exist. Whether or not they're, they say something, whether or not we change the home, these kids are in these spaces. And, yeah, do you know why children don't respect authority when they go to school? Because authority treats them like shit when they get there, especially low-income uh, black and Latino kids in the hood. You go to school and you're a fucking sure. criminal. Yeah, I don't respect authority with them either. 
So, you know, yeah, we, like going back to my original point, if we change our outlook on children, we can create these spaces, and it gives them, it gives them a space where they can actually report when situations are happening so we can hope, hopefully address the situation in the home as well. That's what I was trying to say. So, yeah, I, we want to change the situation in the home, but I'm saying in addition to that, we got to make sure that these kids are in a space where they can feel safe reporting it as well as being able to go to school and be able to function even if they even until we can change what's happening in the home. Okay. Um all right. Um my next question, no, I, I think that's a good answer actually. That's a great answer. Um and I do think that regardless of whether or not they have a good home life or not, every child should have a safe place and feel welcome and um, you know, cared for in the school environment, period. My next question is one that we've been touching on all night, but um it is said that abuse is a learn a learned behavior. And I'd free um, actually um, brought up the point earlier on recurring victims and on how some victims, you know, their, I guess their state of being a victim is also a learned behavior, um, you know, that they've picked up um, perhaps a codependent personality along the years or whatever. But do you think that this is the case for all abusers? Um, some people always say um, that it's a, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, but there are many cases where um, abusers do not come from an abusive home. You know, they didn't grow up seeing anybody being hit or smacked in their household, but that's what they do in their house. Um, so, you, knew, um, you can go first. Um, sure. I feel like, you know, sometimes, like you said, they don't come from an abusive household, but there are mental health issues. There is, like, maybe a rage or, you know, maybe just a lack of respect for women on the whole or for you know, for other people on the whole to generalize it. So it doesn't have to be a learned behavior, but there are other patterns that can be just as destructive. So, But yeah. I do think that most of them are, a significant number of them are people who actually experience some sort of violence or emotional trauma, you know, as kids. I'm glad you brought up the point of emotional trauma, um, you know, um, and it's said in a lot of other countries, a lot of other developed nations, that um, there's something very backward about American media and that something is that we have a very difficult time um, allowing nudity to be seen in our media but have absolutely no problem showing, like, you know, images of, like, gross violence, a lot of times violence toward women and children on in our media, on television and in movies. Um, so what about you, um, Monique? Do you think that... Um, Abusive behavior is always a learned behavior, and if so, where other than the home could it be learned? I do believe that it is, and that belief comes from most of the literature that I've read. Um, it can come from the home, but there's other places that it can come from, like school, the community, you know, um, even what they see like in you know their neighborhood, if you think about it, that can affect them too. Um, they can learn that behavior from their peers. And I think that what causes that is, you know, that need for the power and control, whatever happens, you know, in their youth and their upbringing that gives them, you know, the desire to have that power and control, I think that that's what would be used to define, to define their behavior as being learned. Mm -hmm. because it's just from, you know, their 
environment as a whole, not just what they experience at home. I got you. Um, what about you, Vita? Um, do you think that abuse is always a learned behavior? And if so, where besides the home could a person be learning that behavior? I, I, I really agree with what Monique said, honestly. I think it's the whole picture. I mean, is it, you know, it's like someone in their house teaching them to abuse people? Not necessarily. But if you feel powerless and you have this position, especially where you're, we're constantly reinforcing this image of what power and control looks like, um, and for males especially, I mean, and a lot of it is violent, a lot of it is being authoritative and dominating and domineering, um, it, it, that, that's, a, that's being taught to our children. You see what I'm saying? So it's an environment as a whole. It's like what's, what's triggering certain things. You already feel powerless. Now you're being taught, well, this is how you get power as a man. Or as you know, or as an, or even as a, a or any type of abusive person, this is how you get power by exerting violence on other people, making people fear you. Um, and then another part of is uh, is people. I get when people say you know, in, in the, in, or the studies say that you know, um, people who are abusive didn't necessarily come from abusive homes. See, I quest, the thing is, I kind of question that on how that's always evaluated because when I work with um, who dealt with abusive situations, and a lot of them, honestly, pretty much all of them were males. Um, the males were the abusers. The father for the husband or boyfriend was the abuser. Um, a lot of them did come from abusive homes, and maybe not abusive physically, but uh, to their mothers even, um, but you'll see that their fathers were abusive to them in the way that they taught them, and they taught them what a man was. And one of, like, for example, one of my clients, um, the, their father well, the, the parent in the, in, in the family, um, he, he was telling me how he grew up in Mexico and the way his father taught him and raised him and how at the age of 10 his father would make him go out barefoot to pick up rocks to teach him discipline, you know, things like that. And this is what – and these are, and that wasn't – Yeah, and that, 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 that adage of, you know, be a man, a real man is never weak, a real man never shows his emotion, do you think that, that element of, like, you know, teaching boys that manliness means repressing their emotions could trigger an angry, violent personality. Yes, and that's, the, and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. That was a common thing, and it was taught to them by their fathers. Their fathers may have ever laid a hand on their mother. Their fathers may have never laid a hand on them, you know, but they had them do things or treat them a certain way. Hey, boy, get up. Stop, stop crying. Hey, boy, that's not what a man does. You're going to let her talk to you like that? You're going to do this? You see what I'm saying? So it may not necessarily be um, the, they were in a home where dad was smacking mom around. It might have been dad was always constantly trying to reinforce what masculinity and manliness was to his son. And a lot of that, you know, uh, can trigger a whole lot of other things. I'm not saying every boy, every boy that happens to my father that they become abusive, but that is a common trait that I found when working with my family. Yeah, definitely. Um my last question for the night, and it was just in time, too, because we have eight minutes left, and I'm going to start with Freed. I want you to answer first, uh, Monique. Um, what role, and you did touch on this briefly, but what role do you think mental illness, various mental illness, might play in someone becoming an abuser or a long-term victim? And do you think that um, the way that society views mental illness has a role in how much abuse is going on? Um, I do think that mental illness plays a role in, it can play a role in both. Um, and one of the things that I found uh, with the mental illness um, on the abuser side, it could be 
narcissistic personality disorder or borderline personality disorder um, that can cause them to have those same traits and to inflict um, pain on their um, partners. Um, and, and like I said before, with the long-term victims, you know, that whole thing with codependency, I think that that plays a role. Okay. Um, what about you, Saini? Um, I agree that mental illness can play a role. And, you know, sometimes just knowing that that other person is struggling or the abuser is struggling uh, with mental illness sometimes makes it more difficult for the abused person to emotionally kind of get their mind around that this person is someone I need to escape from. So, you know, it can also complicate things there. Oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, a, it's a decent point. But before I go even any further on the mental abuse, um, it's very common in our society to blame um, mental illness on a lot of irrational things that people do. I do want to point out that there are tons of people who are, not, who are mentally ill who are not abusive, and there are tons of people who are abusive who are not mentally ill. Um, I just want to point that out. Um, Vita, do you want to answer the question? Can you repeat that question for me? Sometimes people answer questions. I start. Sometimes people answer the question. I lose what the actual question was, and I don't want to just answer based off of what someone else said. So that's why sometimes I ask you to repeat the question. Um, I said, what role do you think mental illness plays in someone becoming an abuser or a long-term victim? Um, I, I don't really know how to answer that question, to be honest with you, um, because I feel like that's, it has to be evaluated in case by case, especially when you talk about mental illness and mental health. Um, so that's scary. And like you just pointed out, not all abusive people are mentally ill and not all mentally ill people are abusive, but they definitely overlap in many cases, and we can't deny that either. Um, and sometimes I think, um, especially in the, and we're talking about the black community primarily, you know, especially in the black community, a lot of mental illness goes unchecked. I feel like, for example, I sincerely believe my father is mentally ill. He was very functional. He raised me as a single parent, but he was also an abusive person. Um, but I don't think it went because, – but because of how our society views mental health and um, therapy and things like that, my father never got help. I never saw him. He, in fact, his, the, the only quote-unquote help he got was at church. Um, you know, and that's another thing is the people are going to these pastors and these counselors who are not – certified psychiatrists, psychologists, or even licensed clinical therapists, and they're going to these people talking about, you know, just go pray about it and, you know, give me your money and here's some holy water, you know, and then they're going back home. And this is no joke. Like, this is pretty much what happened in my house. Um, and these people are not getting the help that they need. So I, I do believe that it overlaps. And I, do, and I do believe we can reduce the number of victims and we can reduce the number of abuse cases if we do at least get that population where, mental health, and um, abuse overlap. Where that does overlap, if we can address that, I think we can reduce the number of victims. Maybe not to the most significant number, but it will definitely dwindle that down, and we can, which will definitely help as far as getting services to more people, to, to, the, to people because we don't have as many people to care for. So we do need to address the mental health aspect of it. Um, I agree with that. Um, um you know, the mental health aspect because, and it's like you're saying before, a lot of people don't get the help they need. And it's not just in the black community, but overall, when you say mental illness, people um, assume that 
um, it, you know, you are completely incapable of doing anything for yourself, like your mental disability or mental illness. A lot of people don't understand that a lot of functional people, um, you know, deal with mental illness. And, you know, I dealt with it too in my own family. I, I completely believe that my mother is mentally ill, and she was never diagnosed either, um, even though our family members went so far as to say, you need to get help because um, she was very religious and didn't believe in that. And in our culture, you know, there aren't psychological problems. There are just um, you're not praying hard enough <laughs> for whatever the issue is. Um, and I do think that idea of, of not getting people proactive in their own mental health definitely contributes to the culture of abuse. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah, um, so I'm so glad to all our panelists that we've had here tonight. Um, thank you to our caller. Thank you to the panelists. Thank you once again, um, um, Danielle, Sayini, um, Monique, and... Um, Tara Sean, who couldn't be here with us for very long because she was having phone issues. Thank you, Vita, for co-hosting, and I hope that um, all of the listeners enjoyed the show and will um, spread the link. Um, the show will be available through this link um, in the archives, and it's definitely a discussion that needs to be had, a conversation that needs to be heard um, in communities and in homes. And I bid everyone good night. Um, thank you so much, panelists, again, for being on the show. Um, your input was invaluable. And thank you, Emmalyn, for hosting this. This is a very important topic. And um, okay. not everyone could do as wonderful of a job as you did, and it was very, especially for such a sensitive topic for a sensitive time. And um, we definitely want to give love to our girl, Angie. Um, yeah, we love her. We, were, we This was an honor of her and all the other victims of abuse. And we really, you know, appreciate um, everyone who participated and who listened. And we ask that you, you know, help support, you know, these uh, programs that help victims of domestic violence. So um, that's it for me. Is that it for you too, Em? Yes. Um, also, one more time, um, um, I would like to direct everyone to the link that we have be below the show for um, the GoFundMe for our friend Angie's, um, our deceased friend's um, children. Um, and, you know, again, we would like everyone, if you can, not donate to the GoFundMe to at least share the link. Um, every little bit helps, and we're trying to raise money for the, her children's college education. Um, the goal is 85000 um, the GoFundMe fees are 8.2%, and after the fees are taken by the site, um, each child would have um, 26000 over $26,000, and we would have that money legally protected for them. Um, so again, please think of the future of her children. Um, this woman lost her life at murder-suicide at the hands of her husband, these children's father, and they are now orphaned in the worst possible way. So please, if you can find it in your heart to give anything, please do. And thank you for listening tonight. Everyone have a great evening. Thank you and good night.
Don't you 